This summer we've seen riots on the streets of London and Manchester on the one hand, in Tripoli on the other. On the face of it, there was nothing in common between them. In London, the rioters were holding rocks. In Tripoli, they were holding machine guns. In Libya, they were rioting to remove a tyrant. In London, they were rioting for clothes and flat-screen televisions. There was only one thing they had in common, namely that they were riots, reminding us of what John Maynard Keynes used to say that civilization is a thin and precarious crust. It can crumble quickly and easily. The riots in both places in their different ways should actually make us think in a new way about the unique political project Moses was engaged on in our parasha of Shoftim and in the book of Devarim as a whole. Why do crowds riot? The short answer is because they can. This year we saw the extraordinary impact of smartphones, messaging systems and social network software. The last things you might have thought to bring about a political revolution, but they've done so in one country after another in the Middle East. First Tunisia, then Egypt, then Libya, then Syria. And the reverberations will be with us for many years to come. Similarly in Britain, though for quite different reasons, they've led to the worst and certainly the strangest rioting in a generation. What the technology has made possible is instant crowds. And crowd behaviour is notoriously volatile and sleep, sweeps up many kinds of people in its vortex. And the result is that for a while chaos has prevailed because the police or the army have been caught unawares. The Torah describes a similar situation. At the time of the golden calf, Moses saw that the people were puruad, they were running wild, because Aaron had let them get out of control. Crowds create chaos. So how do you deal with crowds? In England, by more police, by zero tolerance and by tougher sentencing. And in the Middle East, we don't yet know whether we're seeing the birth of freedom or the replacement of the tyranny of the minority with a tyranny of the majority. However, it is a shared assumption in today's world that the only way you stop people robbing one another or killing one another is by the use of force. And that's been the nature of politics since the birth of civilization. The argument was stated most clearly in the 17th century by Thomas Hobbes in his classic work, The Leviathan. Without the use of force, said Hobbes, we'd be in a state of nature, a war of all against all, in which life would be nasty, brutish and short. And what we've witnessed in Britain and the Middle East in recent weeks has been a vivid seminar in Hobbesian politics. We've seen what a state of nature looks like. Now, what Moshe Rabbeinu was proposing in Devarim was fundamentally different. He assembled the people and told them in so many words that there'd be social order in the new land they were about to inherit. But who would bring it about? Not Moses, not Joshua, not a government, not a tyrant, not a charismatic leader, not the army and not the police. Who would do it? You will, says Moses. The maintenance of order in Devarim is the responsibility of the entire people. That's what the covenant was about. 
That's what the sages meant when they said, Kol Yisrael all Jews are responsible for one another. Responsibility in Judaism belongs to all of us, and we cannot delegate it away. You can see this most clearly in this week's parsha in Mitzvat Minui Melach, in the command to do with the king. Listen to what it says. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is given you and take possession of it and are settled in it. And you say, Azim Alai Melach, let me set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint a king the Lord your God chooses. The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. He mustn't take many wives. He mustn't accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Now note the strange way the command is phrased. When you say, is that an obligation or a permission? Like all the nations around us? But surely the entire thrust of the Torah is that the Israelites were not to be like the nations around them. To be holy means to be different, to be set apart. And then again, the king must not, must not, must not. The accumulation of prohibitions is a clear signal that the Torah sees the institution fraught with danger. And so it was. The wisest of men, King Solomon, fell into all three traps and broke all three laws. But that isn't the end of the Torah's warning. Even stronger words are to follow. Listen, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. It's to be with him and he's to read it all the days of his life so that he may fear the Lord, his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. Only one man in the entire Torah is commanded to be humble, and that's the king. This isn't the place to go into the famous disagreement about the commentators as to whether the appointment of a king is actually a mitzvah, a commander or not. There are four views. Maimonides says it's an obligation. Ibn Ezra says it's a permission. Abarbanel says it's a concession. Rabbeinu Bachya says it's a punishment. The Israelites, a nation under the sovereignty of God, should never even think of appointing a human leader. In the words of Avinu Malkenu, Ein lonu melech ata, God we have no other king but you. However, the point is that the Torah is to be removed as far as possible from the world of Hobbes, in which it's the Leviathan, his name for an absolute monarchy, a central dominating power who's responsible for keeping order. In a Hobbesian world, without strong government, there's chaos. Kings or their equivalent are absolutely necessary. Moshe Rabbeinu is articulating an entirely different view of politics. Almost every other thinker there ever was has defined politics as the use of power. Moshe Rabbeinu defines politics as the use of self-restraint. Politics for Moses is about the voice of God within the human heart. Politics is about the ability to hear the words, thou shalt not. Politics in the Torah is not about the fear of government, it's about the fear of God. So radical is this political program that it gave rise to a phenomenon unique in all of history. Not only did Jews keep Jewish law when they were in Israel, a sovereign state with a government and a power, they also kept Jewish law for 2,000 years in exile when they had no land, no power, no government, no army and no police. 
Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, Bedichev, once said, Rebbeinu Shalala, master of the universe. In Russia, there's a czar, an army, a police force. But still, in Russian houses, you can find contraband goods. The Jewish people has no czar, no army, and no police force. But try finding bread in a Jewish house on Pesach. What Moses understood in a way that has no parallel anywhere else is that there are two ways and only two of creating order, either by power from the outside or by self-restraint from within, either the use of external force or by the internalized knowledge of and commitment to the law. How do you create such knowledge and such commitment? By strong families and strong communities and schools that teach children the law and by parents teaching their children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. The result was, by the first century, Josephus could write, should any one of our nation be asked about our laws, he will repeat them as readily as his own name. The result of our thorough education in our laws from the very dawn of intelligence is that they are, as it were, engraved on our souls. This is a unique view about politics, and it's one we're in danger of losing in Europe as it loses its Judeo-Christian heritage. I've argued in many of these broadcasts and several of my books that the only country today that retains a covenantal view of politics, politics as it is in Sefer Devarim, is the United States. And it was there in one of the greatest speeches of the 19th century that Abraham Lincoln articulated the fundamental idea of government, of covenant, that when there is government of the people, by the people, for the people, there is a new birth of freedom. When only police or armies stand between order and riots, freedom itself is at risk. Shabbat Shalom.